What are your priorities? That's a really good question, especially now. Well, it's in this time that God says, remember my work. And how we give reflects our priorities. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rod Henry. I'm Janice. And Luke 21 is what we're going to study in just a few moments. So get ready for that. It's coming up. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? I'm taking a look at Luke 23 and Roman crucifixion. Ryan? Well, there are at least nine instances of specific individuals being raised from the dead in the Bible. So the question is, what sets Jesus's resurrection apart from these? We'll talk about it. It's very interesting because Jesus Christ raised people from the dead. Fascinating. Janice? Today, Jesus, the equalizer. All right. All of this and more coming up. So get your Bible guide out and turn to it. Let's study this and look at what God is saying to us right now. Luke 21, 1 through 19. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these, out of their abundance, have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come, in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience possess your souls. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. 
Luke chapter 21, 22, 23, and 24, we read from the Gospel of Luke. The doctor, the Greek doctor is writing. And in Luke 21, he repeats what we have also read in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13. It always strikes me as so interesting to see the similarities and the differences between these three accounts. Each author had their own perspective and their own themes to highlight and audiences to reach. And we get the benefit of them all. The passage in Luke begins with Jesus referencing a poor woman who has come into the temple and gives an offering even in her poverty. Jesus says, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Luke 21, 4. Following that scene, Jesus comments about the temple area when his disciples ask him when the end of time will come and what will take place. When we talk about the future today, everyone has their own opinion. But let's remember to keep our minds peaceful, knowing that God has it all worked out. Even if we don't understand everything now, the Bible still speaks to us about the future and the importantly character of God. Very important. So we need to keep that in mind. Now, as we continue today, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. The Bible guide is October's. And I encourage you to get a hold of yours by writing or calling or going to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on it. It takes you to a place where you can download it exactly how we printed it. It is very, very good. Now, let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us your way and show us your path, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, this is what we ask, Lord, and we ask you to do this through the power of your Holy Spirit. And every single person here said together, amen and amen. Now, with that in mind, let's focus on this. Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, And he looked up and saw the rich. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in an offering for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Fascinating. Jesus said that when we give to God out of our need, it shows our priorities, and this is the key to giving. Giving to God out of our need, which shows our priorities, this is the key to giving. May we give as we worship. Giving is an act of worship. Living is an act of worship. Life is an act of worship, and giving is a part of life. Very, very important. So let's go on because this now gets really interesting. He says in Luke 21, verse 5, he says, Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, and and he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what will be the sign that there will be when these things will will take place? Verse 8, and he said, 
Take heed that no one be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time has drawn near, therefore do not go after them. Fascinating. Jesus warned that many will come in his name as false messiahs to deceive. We have the unchanging written word of God to show us who Jesus Christ is and was or was and is. This is the unchanging word of God. Several years ago, I got this. And let me tell you something. There's more of these in the world than there are of any other book. Now, I know new people in China, they're printing new ones that have changed. But the ones that haven't changed, there are so many of them. The Bible is so valuable. We need to keep that close to our hearts and keep that in our minds. Now, what does this mean? We need to read on and focus on this. Luke chapter 21, verses 9 to 19. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first. But the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. It's a spiritual term. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Great signs from heaven. But before all of these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons. You will be brought before the kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. Don't think about what you're going to answer. Verse 15. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But do not, but, but not a hair of your head shall be lost by your Patience, possess your souls. <laughs> By your patience, possess your souls. You see, Jesus said that our enduring patience is what will keep our souls fit until the end, as he supports us and helps us. Our trust and faith in God through Christ Jesus gives us the strength to endure all things. Now, this is really important. Because if there's one thing that I can say to you that I have trouble with, patience. I don't like it. I don't have control over it. And I always want things to go fast. You ever get in a line and you're 20 back and you're like, I got to get there, get there, get there. And you forget about everybody else who's just going to get there. That's me too. We need to have patience. Beloved, when we see suffering, when we see trouble, when we see things happening, we need to understand that the Lord is working it out. We need to have patience. And the end times perspective is the same across every gospel you see it. You understand that God is preparing us. 
He's seeding our souls to understand what it means to live for eternity. Because there's coming a time when we, not under God's wrath, but under God's grace and, and joy, there's coming a time when we will not have these troubles anymore. And that time, it'll be very interesting because we'll be able to remember and see how our patience was there. And that's the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit, when we come to know Jesus, comes into our heart and he helps us to grow in patience. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. All right, well, I wanna take a look at Luke chapter 23 today, which of course records the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So the culmination of his ministry here on earth, you know, his tension with the religious leaders and his challenging of the um, ideas of the day finally culminates in his crucifixion. Thankfully, it doesn't end there, but it is what we are going to be focusing in on today because I want to take a look at Roman crucifixion. I find that today, when we think of crucifixion, because we are in a Western society that was based off of Christianity, we uh, we uh, associate crucifixion with Jesus. But of course, at the time of Jesus, crucifixion was a thing in and of itself. It had nothing to do with Jesus as of yet. So let's take a look. It's difficult for the modern reader of the Bible to fully understand many of the New Testament references to crucifixion. Today, crucifixion isn't primarily associated with the ancient practice, but rather with Jesus Christ. The cross has become an enduring symbol of Christianity. Crosses decorate churches, Bibles, and the necks of the devout. A close look at the cross's scriptural mentions, however, reveal its shocking history as the most culturally shameful element of Christianity. At its core, the message of Jesus crucified was, as Paul puts it, foolishness to those who are perishing, and that we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. What exactly is meant by this? Historian of religion Martin Hengel, in his work titled Crucifixion, masterfully overviews this ancient practice. He demonstrates that it was spread far and wide across time, distance, and cultures. Early on, it had associations with human sacrifice, but its primary usage was as a punishment for political and military purposes. It was used as a deterrent against rebellion and treason, with the condemned being crucified in the territories where they rebelled. In Rome, it was reserved only for slaves and the lowest classes, but a person could be stripped of their citizenship or freedman status and executed as a rebel slave. It was seen as the worst death imaginable because it stripped one of all honor, status, and dignity, and it involved the torture of victims prior to the physical crucifixion. Interestingly, crucifixion was prized by the powerful as a means of control, praised by the masses for its ability to bring security to Rome, for example, through ridding the seas of pirates, 
while at the same time becoming unmentionable to the civilized. It was so shameful as to be a taboo, a byword, an offense just to speak it. It's believed that most large Roman cities had a special place of crucifixion that always boasted the main support beams of crosses and torture devices, standing testament to the fate awaiting the rebellious. Imagine then the impact of Jesus' statement that his true followers must pick up their crosses and follow him. Powerful gods were not reduced to slavery and did not allow themselves to be ridiculed. This sentiment is illustrated in the famous graffiti of a crucified Jesus with a donkey's head. Jesus' crucifixion was an effective stumbling block to the Jews who believed Deuteronomy's curse to those hung on a tree. How could the Messiah be cursed? Nevertheless, this is exactly what Christianity asserts, that Jesus humbled himself, taking the very nature of a slave. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. There we go. I hope this really uh, sets us up to understand some of the responses and, and dialogue that happens from the apostles later on in the New Testament when it comes to crucifixion and uh, the persecution that early Christians were facing because of it. It's really interesting because right now persecution is, is, is top of the list mm -hmm. for the church. Uh, China, the biggest church, and then, of course, Nigeria, the second largest church, and then, of course, India. A lot of people assume that it's North America. No, it's not. It's These are places to be a Christian in China, you have to be a Christian. To be mm -hmm. a Christian in Nigeria, you have to be a Christian. To be a Christian in India, you have to be a Christian. So it's very, very important to remember that. And you're not talking about church as a structure, building. No, you're talking, talking about, about church as born-again believing Christians. Exactly. Yes. People who've that given Jesus Christ. That is what makes up the church. Who they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. Thank you, Corey. Brian? All right, well, my segment today is focused specifically on chapter 24, which is about the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this momentous event brings up a very important question. And that is, what sets Jesus' resurrection apart from all the other raisings that we read about in the Old and New Testaments? Well, the truth is, is that there is a massive difference. Take a look. Within the biblical record are at least nine instances of specific individuals being raised from the dead. Three of these are found in the Old Testament and include the raising up of a widow's son by Elijah in 1 Kings 17, the raising up of a Shunammite woman's son by Elisha in 2 Kings 4.35, and the raising up of a man whose lifeless body merely touches the bones of Elijah in 2 Kings 13.21. In the New Testament, there are six occasions of specific individuals being raised up. Of these, three are performed by Jesus himself, including the raising of a widow's son at Nain, the raising of Jairus' daughter, and the raising of his friend Lazarus. Similarly, in the book of Acts, Peter raises Tabitha, and Paul raises Eutychus. And then, of course, there's the momentous raising of Jesus Christ on the third day after his death and burial. In addition to all of these, there is a group of dead saints that rises out of their graves between Jesus' death and resurrection in Matthew chapter 27. While all of these miraculous raisings are a truly magnificent testimony to the power of God, they also beg an important question. What is it that sets Christ's resurrection apart from all the others? A key passage is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 to 23. As one notable Bible scholar explains, 
Here, Paul says that Christ is the firstfruits of those who are resurrected. But what about those who were raised before his resurrection? What about those in the Old Testament, or the ones Jesus himself raised? Wouldn't they be the firstfruits? Not according to Paul. Jesus was resurrected, never to die again. All those others who were brought back to life were raised, but they would eventually die again, to be raised a final time with all those who belonged to Christ at his second coming. The quality of the resurrection was something very different from the resurrection Jesus experienced. In addition to all this, Jesus' resurrected body had new characteristics, which his pre-resurrection body had not possessed. He was able to appear and disappear at will, and he ascended to heaven in his physical body. None of these other people who were raised had yet received their new resurrected bodies. They were raised in their mortal flesh and blood bodies that they had previously died in with the expectation that they would die again. This is why the resurrections are really resuscitations, while Jesus was resurrected in the very fullest sense. The physical bodies of these others were resuscitated, but Jesus was resurrected with a body that was recognizably his own, yet radically transformed. Thanks be to God that those of us who are in Christ will also receive radically transformed bodies that will not be subject to decay or death anymore. So we can see that Jesus' bodily resurrection was entirely different than all of the others. These others were brought back to life in their original mortal flesh and blood bodies. It was more like a resuscitation, but Jesus' rising was the first true resurrection. He rose in a new kind of body. Though still physical, this new body had special properties, and it was a body that would never see death again. And the fact that Jesus' resurrection was considered the first fruits means that those of us who are in Christ will also rise in this fashion when he comes again. There's no better news than that. It's really important to remember that, Ryan. And uh, we have to keep focused on what God has called us to do, our eternal purpose. That's right. Our eternal destination. Very good. Corey, what are we doing on the 21st? Yeah, in just a couple of days, actually. <laughs> really, really soon. Uh, if you haven't registered yet for our in-person event at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario, and you would like to come, then please, please do register. Uh, it's from 1 to 5.30 in the afternoon. Uh, again, Saturday, October 21st, so just in a couple of days. So if you want to register, it's free to register, but we just want to know that you're coming so that we can have space for you and coffee and snacks and all those good things. So you can call our office, our Canadian office, or go online to register. And I really hope to see a lot of you there because, I mean, every time someone meets me, they say, you know, we watch you every day or we watch you a couple times a week. And, and I always just think to myself, it's not fair because I don't get to see you. I don't get to meet you. I don't get to know you. So I'm really looking forward to it. So I hope to see you there. Very good. Look forward to that. Make time to or make a chance to be there. Very good. Okay, Janice. I'm looking forward to it too, but I have to admit I have butterflies. Do you? In yeah. my tummy, yes, because I get to meet the people who watch us mm -hmm. in person. Mm -hmm. So it's quite exciting. So I, we do very much look forward to seeing you. And uh, Jesus, the equalizer, isn't this a really interesting chapter in Luke 21? And just before we read about Jesus noticing the widow putting in her two mites, which were two... Um, the copper coins, the, the least value of, of the Jewish 
Jewish currency of that time. He is warning his disciples about the scribes who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And then as they're in the temple, he's observing the people giving giving up their um, offerings into the treasury. And he comments about this widow and what she puts in. And it just made me realize again that Jesus is the equalizer. You know, he's not looking at the amount. He's looking at our hearts. He is wondering and he knows where our heart is, where our treasure is. That's where our heart is. That's what the scripture tells us. And so when he's talking about this woman giving everything that she has, she gave everything. He's not suggesting here that we just withdraw everything from our bank accounts, that we sell our houses, that we do all these things and give it all to him. That's not what he's suggesting. However, I do want to point out that a believer in Jesus Christ, a Christian, believes that whatever we have, whatever resources we have, ultimately comes from God and belongs to God. So we need to make those things available to him. And when we do that, when we pray about giving, and often you will hear Rod mention we don't have a set fee or a subscription rate, we, we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit in you, that if God has called you to give to this ministry or to give to another ministry, then he will tell you what it is that you need to give, and then you need to be obedient to do what God has called you to do. So I just want to mention, you know, Jesus is that equalizer. He doesn't measure you by how much money you have or how much you don't have. He measures you by your heart. He sees you from your heart. And we may judge one another for that, which we should not do, because God says, don't judge by the outward appearance. Um, it's only God that can see the inside. So um, we should make our lives and our resources available to him. It's an understanding of our heart. As Christians, we belong to him. There's no great or small in his eyes or should be in our eyes either. He is the equalizer. Our value is not in the things of this world, but in the things that are eternal. It's people. It's you. It's me. It's our family. It's our neighbor. What's in our heart today? Remember, October 21st is the day of this coming weekend when we're going to be live at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario. I look forward to that. I look forward to meeting with you and make sure that you join us. Go to our website and register so we can know you're going to be there. Today we pray, Lord, I pray for your protection today and in the days to come. Help me now in Jesus' name.